Welcome to the Easel Studio Podcast. This is the audio version of an episode that was originally broadcast on easel.eu. If you wish to watch rather than listen, go to Easel Campus to see all the episodes on demand. Welcome to Easel Studio, your weekly hepatology broadcast news. In today's episode, we will discuss digital pathology and artificial intelligence. And I have with me two friends, um, Professor Darren Trainer. He's a professor in digital pathology in the University of Leeds and in Linköping University in Sweden. And by the way, he's also a liver pathologist and he's the digital the digital pathology lead in the Royal College of Pathologists in the UK. And then I have with me also Professor Dina Tinyakos. She's the past president of the European Society of Pathology. Um, she's professor of pathology in the University of Athens and an academic pathologist in the Newcastle University. And her specialty is also liver and GI pathology. So, okay. Um, the topic today is digital pathology. So maybe, Professor Trainer, can you help us and um, make a little bit clear what is digital pathology and artificial intelligence, how it works, and what is the current status? Yes, thank you. And it's very nice to be here this afternoon talking about this subject. Digital pathology is, has been around for some time, mm -hmm. um, but recently it's become much more powerful technology. And what we talk about in modern digital pathology is called whole slide imaging where we can take a glass pathology slide and create a complete digital replica of that with an automated microscope or scanner. And it's a really very simple technology, taking photomicrographs and stitching them together. And But it's actually very hard because the images are so enormous in terms of their resolution and the data that you create and the need to, to acquire those images very quickly. So it's only now that digital pathology is starting to see mainstream use in healthcare. In terms of how it works, yeah, <laughs> it's a very simple idea. So we started with a glass slide and, and put it into a digital pathology scanner, which creates an image. And usually that image file is stored on a computer somewhere, either in a hospital or in a server elsewhere outside the hospital. Um, the so last, if, if I understand rightly, you need a high resolution screen also to look at these images, or it's just not something you can do with a regular computer, or do you? Yes, it, certainly when we started using scanners, regular computers weren't capable of, of dealing with the mm -hmm. high resolution and the quality of screens that were available as well. You're right. So I think for a good experience in digital pathology, you want to use a, a screen with very high brightness, high resolution. So in our project, we use screens that are six or eight megapixels, yeah. but that's becoming normal nowadays. So your iPhone and your iPad can do that very easily. And I suppose the twist to digital pathology is because you've got that digital image, you can then use it for automated analysis with artificial intelligence. Yeah, indeed. Okay, so um, maybe now a question for Professor Tinyakos. Um, which areas or disease areas, um, artificial intelligence or maybe in a broader sense, digital pathology in the liver um, are interesting or where in which areas might it be helpful? Can you a little bit discuss on that, Dina? Well, in, in digital pathology, uh, as uh, you may already know, because we it is deployed in in some departments across Europe, including Darren's and yours, uh, Tanya, Professor Oskans, 
Uh, we may use it not yet fully for diagnostic purposes. We use it for for um, academic purposes. But in the future, it is envisaged that uh, not only in liver pathology, but in all areas of diagnostic pathologies, we will be able to look at uh, whole slide images and make our diagnosis. The, the main problem is that uh, the infrastructure is not there yet uh, in all departments of pathology. Very few have it. And because we need the scanners, we need the high resolution screens, we, we need the area where the images are stored. Yeah. In liver disease, in academic uh, pathology, the main areas where publications have been made since 2014 is mainly non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and hepatocellular carcinoma. Uh, also, um, the area of uh, chronic liver diseases with the evaluation of fibrosis. Mm -hmm. yeah. And mainly it is the main use and most of the recent papers is all, are also based on the on fatty liver disease in clinical trial uh, setting. And is so, it then to detect the degree of steatosis or to, to detect the degree of fibrosis or both? It's uh, using the AI algorithms with most of them, we can uh, assess the extent of fibrosis, but also the different features that are diagnostic for non-alcoholic hepatitis, not only steatosis, but also ballooning and inflammation, but with less accuracy. We don't have a perfect algorithm yet. To... Yeah, because ballooning, okay, it's already difficult for uh, for us. So you have to learn the computer also how it works. Um but okay, it's getting there slowly. Um, getting there slowly with the help of the pathologists who are annotating all these features so yeah. the machines can learn how to recognize them. Yeah, and maybe we come then uh, to the next question uh, for Darren. What are the barriers, in fact, or the limitations of artificial intelligence? Uh, in, in yeah, uh, What are the, the barriers yeah, to use it? Can you comment on that, Darren? Yeah. It might be worth talking a little bit about the difference between old-fashioned image analysis and new AI, first of all, and then we can talk about the pros and cons of each. Um, it, liver pathology is interesting because it's been possible to do reasonably good image analysis in the liver for many years. With um, old-fashioned image analysis, you could quantify fat, how many, how many white round areas are in a body, or you could do collagen proportionate area. But this new technology that's enabled artificial intelligence in the last few years is called deep learning. And that allows us to do things that we could never have done with traditional image analysis methods in the past. Deep learning allows us to train an artificial intelligence model to do visual tasks that were hard before, like attempting to find ballooning or Mallory's highlight, but even doing more exciting things like trying to predict the outcome of the patient's clinical course directly from the image. And so it's that explosion in deep learning that is the reason why we're hearing so much about. Can you give an example for that? I don't know, maybe in cancer that you can, uh, by the uh, anisonucleosis or something, the, the difference in nuclei, or can you just give an example of, of, of uh, such a thing of prognostic value of artificial intelligence or the use of that? Yes, there are some people working in liver, for example, in clinical trials that are claiming that they can predict patient outcome at an earlier stage using the biopsy. These are, are the early pieces of work that are coming out. And in the area of cancer, people are attempting to predict, uh, for example, genomic information is one that's being commonly published now from the H&E image. And it, it really is worth emphasizing that this was inconceivable to those of us working in image analysis 10 years ago or 15 years ago. 
deep learning enables quite novel ways of approaching our images. That was really exciting. Yeah, I, I, I know that in, in, for example, skin cancer, there are different types. You have melanoma and you have, uh, well, there are different types of, of skin cancer where you can indeed a little bit predict from the images what are the backgrounds of, of uh, what is the genetic background of these lesions um, with different nevi, etc. Is it a little bit in that sense that you mean? Is that already possible for the liver? Yes, um, I can't think of any specific examples in the liver where that's been proven to work well yet, but I think that's just because people haven't done the work. Yeah. Um, what's interesting about artificial intelligence is that you can do discovery type research to detect subtypes in your group that you didn't know were there before. And that's perhaps why it's such an interesting research tool. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah also, in patocellular carcinoma, there are, of course, as Darren said, this is not the common way to go, but there are initial studies that they have shown that uh, for hepatocellular carcinoma, you can uh, prognosticate and also and see the molecular subtype based on the image. But these are initial studies, and of course, all these uh, algorithms will need validation, and also will need a, a way to adjust in every department who will be that will be using it in their own data. Yeah. Because algorithms as may, are made based on data input, and if and these are specific data for that algorithm, if the algorithm is deployed in another. Uh, for example, area with another set of data, then we may have uh, not accurate results. So we are still in the beginning, but everything is fascinating at the moment. And we believe that artificial intelligence will augment the possibilities of the pathologies. Yes, I think so too, because yeah, it's a little bit like when we had big international consensus meetings on diagnostic criteria, but then yeah, a step further, of course. It's going behind that uh, and, and gives a lot of more possibilities to, to refine your differential diagnostics and in comparing the, the HE images with the genetic data that we have. And then, um, yeah, mm. learning the machines, how to interpret. And indeed, mm. yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting way uh, forward. But uh, Dina, what I often hear is that, for example, mm. okay, we talk about the academic setting. Um, and that there is still a long way to go for the more peripheral hospitals to use even digital pathology. Yeah. Can you maybe comment on that? Um, what is the way to go? Um, is it feasible or not? Can you maybe comment on that a little bit? Well, I think the future of pathology will be digital. For some, in some more uh, bigger departments in tertiary centers, it will come earlier in other centers in the periphery and also depending also on the country and the geographic area may come later but this will be the future and this will require of course specific regulatory frameworks specific training of the pathologists on how to use uh, and also uh, assess the accuracy of these uh, algorithms and we may see at the future a a new generation of not only pathologists but medics who will need to have some uh, digital uh, knowledge programming and uh, for example as we do for immunohistochemistry which is a simple technique in pathology we know how to recognize when something is wrong and we can suggest how to solve it the same should be done for these algorithms yeah yeah so, okay um yeah <laughs> Okay, yeah, so it's all, it's all about having the scanners and the, the right uh, yeah. 
well, the right microscope is to, I mean, with the camera, especially, of course, and then the, the, the right screens to, to look in, to, to look through the data, et cetera. Um, maybe, okay. Maybe we can, um, discuss some specific projects because there are some interesting projects. Um, and I, I immediately think about the European project, big picture. And maybe, uh, Darren, you can comment or, or tell a little bit about it. Yes, yeah, we're both um, involved, and I'm proud to be involved in this in this big European project called Big Picture, led by uh, Rabban University, and uh, it's an ambitious project to do a pan-European collection of data in order to train artificial intelligence networks in pathology, mm -hmm. and it covers all aspects of human pathology. Uh, I'm aiming to collate three million slides, uh, one million of human pathology and two million of of uh, preclinical and animal pathology. Um, and within that project, there is a, a really useful <laughs> for us liver pathologists bit, which is uh, curating and mm -hmm. collecting a large, high quality data set of liver slides. And that we hope will allow us to um, create better artificial intelligence algorithms for these problems, but also to allow ourselves to validate them to ensure that they're working well. And um, so big picture is starting and, and starting to build the infrastructure, but with a lot of work still to do. And what is happening with all these pictures? They're scanned at a central place or how it works? Yes, the plan will be that in order to make good AI, you want as broad a data set as possible from as many different institutions. So the plan is to have the liver work um, gathering data led by Leeds, our institution, but we're hoping to involve as many institutions as possible, uh, both within the current big picture project and by contributing slides from outside. So we hope that people who've got existing data sets or are interested in taking part will want to contribute. And the more contributors and the wider the data set, the better it will be. Okay. So that's interesting because uh, can we somehow um, get other labs involved? Um, is there a website or so that we can uh, recommend? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So bigpicture.eu is our website and we have a process for what we call slide contributing third partners. Uh, okay. That we're still working through. Uh, in terms of the uh, the practicalities, but absolutely. So those of you who are working in, in liver clinical trials or liver pathology labs, get in touch and we'll add you to the list to get in touch. Okay, we'll try to, uh, <laughs> to, uh, to pass it on. Um, okay, if I think about all these European projects, etc., cetera, uh, but also about AI, um, yeah, I think regulations, we don't like them, but they're of course necessary and um, there must be a, a lot of regulatory aspects on AI in general. So um, maybe Dina, you're working um, in the European Society of Pathology. Can you comment on this a little bit? Is there some work being done behind the screens that we don't know of? Because it's a very important aspect, I think, of AI and the use of AI in the future. The European Society of Pathology as part of the big picture works in, uh, for the regulatory framework and the ethics uh, that should uh, underpin the old, uh, AI and also the use of the digital images. There are also many other centers, uh, mainly also the University of Graz in, in Austria and uh, industry. And we are working together, together with regulatory agencies so we can have some regulations for the use of this uh, data that will be important in the future. And the same for the clinical trial setting, especially for non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, we don't have yet an approved uh, algorithm to, for example, to assess the severity of the disease and the presence or not of steroid hepatitis, but uh, the algorithms still need validation and 
both the FDA and also the European Commission have white papers now for the use of artificial intelligence, but we're going to see a lot more in the future and make it more official. Okay, but it's a typical uh, work that should be done at a European level, I suppose, eh? Uh, or within the framework of a European association, so that it should not be done by individual groups or or countries, uh, and that countries can adapt European guidelines, yeah, towards their own uh, regulatory uh, way. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, yeah. So I think we did... on that. yes, yes, I think yes. That in the, um, there's a lot of work to do in this area. The deep learning that we're using has only been invented six years ago, and now mm-hmm. suddenly we're applying it to healthcare. So there is pre-market authorization where where vendors must get permission to to sell this software as a medical device. But then there will also be a lot of work for us pathologists to do in our labs to validate and ensure that they're working safely. And that's where our professional bodies across Europe are very important in helping us to do that well. And then the extra important thing about this type of AI is that it, it can be retrained, it can be improved when when you add additional data. A lot of people think it learns all the time. It doesn't. It, it Once it's trained, it, it's static, it doesn't change. But it is possible to envisage a future in which we together contribute more cases back in for training to improve an AI system. And that's a big challenge for hospitals. We don't normally do that and for regulators as well. So it, it's very exciting, but there's an awful lot of work to do in the future. Yeah, because at the moment, it's even difficult to do a small, uh, yeah, I mean, even uh, showing a picture of, of, a, of a slide, of, of just a, a slide, a digitalized slide, is, is not possible anymore because, okay, it's claimed that you could recognize the patient through the liver slide of, of the, and, and it's possible probably, yeah, but it makes things very difficult. So in practicalities, like just giving a, uh, just teaching to the students, giving a presentation at an international meeting, etc., it's it's getting difficult. So we really need these regulatory um, features that it's yeah, that are work and also especially the future is feasible. Uh, mm-hmm. You agree or do you have to comment on? Um... Well, I think this the complete anonymization of these digital slides together with uh, the approval of uh, the patient at the time when the biopsies or the specimen are taken, not la- later on, which will be very difficult, then will give us the possibility to use these images. But this is just a, a small, a small example. Yeah, yeah, of course, yes. But of course, if you cannot go back to the clinical data, it's it's not not uh, perfect either. So we need somehow a way to work. Um, in a yeah a feasible way and and not to lose too much information of of the data sets uh, we need yeah. to to uh, to use for okay so if somebody of you still wants to have an extra comment in general or yes maybe we haven't talked mm-hmm. about the challenges about AI accuracy as well so we ah, yeah yeah indeed that's one of the problems indeed. Go yeah. When we make it, we generally test uh, an AI model against a, a hidden set that it hasn't observed before, and, and you'll see very good accuracy um, in, the, in the literature that's been published. When it hits the real world, AI can often um, find that you often find that the performance isn't so good, and this, uh, this brittleness of the technology is, an, is a known issue. So there is still a lot of work to do to ensure that the data sets that we're training on and the way we roll out AI maintains its initial promise, its initial accuracy. Uh, 
So I think we're talking maybe quite quite a lot about the challenges here, and perhaps could end on on the positive note that I think we all agree. <laughs> it is a it's a useful tool. I think patients also, when we talk to them in our projects in the UK about AI, they're very excited about how it will empower yeah. all just to be more efficient, more accurate to discover yeah. new so and more it's objective. It's it's an objective way, of course, of uh, so that you don't have to go to five different doctors to have <laughs> a consensus view on your disease or something. Yeah, of course, so it has. Yeah, sorry. No, it has even been said that the discussing with the patients that the application of AI in the in the liver biopsy material, for example, it, it may make the procedure more acceptable to them, offer yeah. knowing that what will going to happen with all the exciting things that may happen and come out from the view of their tissue by in addition to the pathologist, by an, an AI system that could augment the output. Yeah, indeed, it can uh, in, in, indeed uh, stimulate the patient and uh, reassure the patient that uh, if there is uh, an examination that uh, that it's going far behind its own diagnosis, eh, but uh, also for the yeah for the whole uh, community. In fact, uh, it can really be worthwhile to to have a liver biopsy as an example. Okay, uh, I think we made publicity for uh, the digital pathology to show that even old fashioned pathologists are really looking to the future with the most uh, fancy um, techniques that you can imagine. And that's really very, very, um, yeah, it's, um, it's challenging, uh, but it's also a very nice way to look into the pathology future. So I would thank you very, much to be part of this discussion and i think we can finish here then we are within our 20 minutes more or less um so well mm -hmm. let's go on with this very nice work and um i hope we we really show to everybody that pathology is really the the way forward with the newest techniques that are available thank you very much